Join us now on The Collector Show with Harold Nickel. And thank you for joining us for another week of The Collector Show. I am Harold Nickel. Coming up in the interview segment, one of the premier experts in the field of collecting comic books, Vincent Zerzola joins us. He owns ComicConnect.com, sorry, and MetropolisComics.com. In his store, he has over 100,000 different comic books. He grades comic books, auctions them, and knows a whole lot about the hobby of collecting comic books. And for those of you who have just joined listening to the program or who have just tuned in lately, we haven't done a comic book show in over a year. And we certainly haven't had somebody with the expertise that Vincent has for us. You're going to enjoy that. And then at the end of the program, the Found Collectible of the Week movie posters with Heather Gallegos. There's a whole lot to know about collecting movie posters. You won't want to miss that. Of course, now, as always, news from the world of collecting. The Topps Card Company have announced another UFC-themed collector's card series, and they're going to be releasing them during the month of July. And the UFC, of course, is the uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship, which has spawned a pay-per-view empire of uh, Ultimate Fighters and, of course, the uh, television programs on Spike. Um, This kind of prize fighting has become extremely popular in the last few years. These cards from Topps are going to have 16 packs of cards, and they're going to sell for $4 a piece there will be a total of 165 cards. And in each set, or in each box rather, there'll be autographed cards and other souvenir cards. And they'll also be featuring some of their newest fighters who include John Jones, Dan and Jim Miller, Dan Hardy, Ryan Bader, Efren Escudero, among other new fighters who have just joined Ultimate Fighting and Mixed Martial Arts. So more good news from Topps as they continue to come out with products and collectibles that are relevant and will attract more people to the uh, hobby of collecting cards. Ultimate Fighter Cards. It's called um, the 2009 Topps UFC Round 2. So be looking for that this coming July. Here's an interesting story about a man who is a a retired merchant mariner. He served during the Second World War aboard a merchant naval vessel. His name was Michael Linkowicz Sr. And I say was because Michael passed away recently at the age of 95. Now what's interesting about Michael, in addition to the fact that he served on board a merchant marine vessel in the Second World War and survived uh, the perils of the North Atlantic, he collected cigarette wrappers, but not for the reason a lot of us collect things. He didn't keep them. He collected them and would redeem the uh, coupons in them for clothing. And specifically, he collected Marlboro cigarette packs and the coupons that were printed with them. And then he would redeem them for clothing. And then he gave away the coats and the shirts to churches and the Salvation Army. And according to his son, he collected 11,000 empty cigarette packs from trash bins and along roadsides in the year 2000 alone. And his son couldn't say how much clothing he ended up giving away, but said it was quite a large amount. So I say good for him. A great hobby. Um, Cleaning up the neighborhood and doing something nice for people who are less fortunate. And what 
better collection is that. So if you're looking for something to start collecting, consider thrown away Marlboro cigarette packs. I'm sure the people who uh, merchandise those things at Marlboro did not have that sort of thing in mind, but, um, you know, God works in mysterious ways sometimes. An advertisement for cigarettes and a way to merchandise those turns into something for poor people. I think thought that was a nice story. Finally, you don't think about collecting meteorites for a hobby? Well, you should if you haven't, because you can collect meteorites. And there's a guy here in Michigan, John Morris, collects meteorites. He's also an amateur astronomer, and he says that he has over 50 meteorites in his collection. Some he has followed to the ground through his telescope, which he owns. He's an amateur astronomer, in addition to being a meteorite collector. And he also says there are other people who collect meteorites that have only hit something or somebody. And I remember seeing at the Smithsonian a car that had been hit by a meteorite. Those meteorites are referred to as hammers, and they're the most valuable meteorites there are. Now, this guy is the editor of the Iosco County News and Herald, and Iosco County is near Midland. In fact, it's less than an hour away by car, and I'm going to try to get Mr. Morris on the phone and see if I can book him as a guest for the Collector's Show next week, because we've definitely never talked about collecting meteorites. I think that would be something interesting. And it doesn't sound like, from the whole story that I read, that it was that terribly hard to get started collecting meteorites. I think it's just a matter of knowing what to look for and where to go look. So hopefully, if my luck holds up, and I'm pretty lucky about getting guests for the show, we'll have meteorites and an expert on collecting meteorites as our guest here next week. Okay, coming up in the interview segment of the program, Vincent Zerzola of Comic Connect and MetropolisComics.com. Next on The Collector's Show, I'm Harold Nickel. It's the interview segment of The Collector's Show this week. We're going to be talking with Vincent Zerzola. Vincent owns two businesses, ComicConnect.com and MetropolisComics.com. And you can guess, based on the names of his two enterprises, we're going to be talking about collecting comic books. And Vincent, welcome to The Collector's Show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Let's talk, first of all, about collecting comics. What do you think is the uh, appeal of collecting comic books? Well, there are several different uh, things that appeal to people about comic books. First of all, it's, it's a form of entertainment. It's a form of escape from reality and to enjoy a, a fantasy world for a little bit in right. terms of just like you pick up a Harry Potter book or anything else that's um, fiction. You know, just uh, basically enjoying something that is, uh, for lack of a better world, a word, uh, impossible to have happen. Uh, so people buy it for entertainment purposes. They buy them for escapism. They also buy them to recapture a part of their lives, which um, usually their childhood, which is usually viewed as the most popular, most most ha- the happiest time of a person's life. Uh, when you think back on your childhood, everybody goes, oh boy, things were a lot easier when I was a kid. And what was I doing? I was reading comic books. Right. So those are some of the reasons that people buy comic books, and I'm, I'd imagine many of the other types of collectibles that uh, people collect and invest in. Well, you know, you're exactly right. We uh, we talk to people on this program every week, and without exception, people say, I want to recapture something that I enjoyed when I was a kid, or something that I wanted to do when I was a kid that I didn't have the money for. There you 
Mexico. And you know what? Another important part of this is <clears throat> people are interested in the story behind the story on a comic book. So, sure, you want to read that story you remember from when you were a child, but you also are recapturing and remembering where you were the day you bought that the first time, right. the old candy store on the corner with the spinner rack of comic books, or what have you, uh, going to your first convention with your dad or your friends and, and buying this comic book for 35 cents, and then somebody sold it or, or stole it from your collection, <laughs> or you traded it away for a baseball card and you never saw it again. Right, and you know, the the rack that you mentioned that spun that had the different titles on it, I remember that very well. Yeah. But you know... Um, you couldn't fit even a tiny percentage of the number of comic books available now onto a rack like that. The hobby, it seems to me, has really expanded. Well, it has in certain respects, but uh, I'd also say that there, the um, number of titles out there, I'm not sure if they're bigger than they were at the peak. The peak was probably in the early 90s, but in terms of spinner racks, spinner racks were, were a lot more popular in the 70s, 80s, and even into the early 90s, but... Uh, for the most part, there are a tremendous number of titles and, and comic books and, uh, from main publishers like Marvel and DC, as well as a lot of independent publishers. And the great thing about comic books today, in terms of modern comic books, which I really don't deal in, but I do still read, mm-hmm. um, is that there are so many different genres out there that uh, anybody from uh, a little kid to a middle-aged woman to an older man could find a comic book that might appeal to them. Sure. So there are a lot of different genres. Now, and help me, and maybe this is a dumb question, but what's the difference between a comic book and a graphic novel? Yeah, I just, it's funny. I just had an, a, a very interesting conversation with the author of Mouse, Art Spiegelman, last week about this, and I, I'm, I'm actually quite irritated that uh, <laughs> the, the term graphic novel is a, is a beautiful term, but it, I feel like it's almost used because people are ashamed of comic book. Like, comic book conjures up so many negative connotations of uh, something for a child that they had to come up with the term graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's they're interchangeable, but a graphic novel is usually on a little bit higher stock uh, paper. It, the, the, the binding is usually square bound, and it sometimes, oftentimes, can be a compilation of more than one issue, mm-hmm. whereas a comic book is usually one issue. That's See, I'd never heard that, and uh, Art Spiegelman, I remember him. He was, uh, I think a couple of years ago, he was a guest on The Simpsons. Um, I don't know if uh, if, right. if you saw that. Uh, bits and pieces. Yeah, and he had his mouse mask on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had always wondered about that, and it does... Uh, oh, you know, you say that comics have a negative connotation, but I don't think any more so than in the 50s when there were, I think, congressional hearings on the effect of comics on young people. Um, that, that actually, I, I think there should be no negative connotation uh, nowadays. And it's a lot less than it ever was before because of the success of the movies. In this country, if something makes money, it's more respectable. Sure. So comic books have been, I think, the last year the top three grossing films were Dark Knight, Iron Man, and the third one was Hancock, which was based on a superhero. So comic books seemed, and fantasy seemed to really... Uh, um, appeal to the, the general masses um and uh it, it's you know it's nice to see comic books getting more accepted um but i had i had somebody recently ask me i was on uh getting ready to go on to fox business and i was on uh, to do an interview on one of our auctions mm-hmm. and uh i was in the green room and a gentleman asked me so he was looking at an action comics number one i had and he's like so what came first the, the movie or the super superman and i just wanted to put my head through a wall <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> no. How could anybody not know that? You know, I don't know. You know, yeah. Anyhow. (laughs) Even um, people who don't know anything 
People who don't even speak English know that. Cheapers. <laughs> yeah, you think so, but it came out of a grown adult's mouth, yeah. Well, with that in mind, you know, the, the movies, and by the way, I saw all three of those movies and enjoyed all three. Are movies making comic books more popular, or is it the other way around? Um, well, I think I think that for investors and collectors who buy vintage comic books, what I deal mostly in is pre-1976 comic books. Okay. They have 10 to 35 cent cover prices on them usually. Mm-hmm. I deal with some stuff in the 80s and 90s, but mostly from the 70s on back. Um, and what you see is, uh, I hope, people who are... Um, going to see the movies will end up reading the comic books. I know with Watchmen, uh, the, um, on Amazon.com, Watchmen was number one for, I think, uh, uh, either a couple of weeks or a couple of months leading up to the uh, release of the movie. Oh, boy. So a lot of people went back and read that or went read it for the first time. And personally, I thought the movie was good, but the comic book is, is just, uh, I think, a, a really brilliant piece of work. No, I don't mind a bit. I have uh, my own podcast, radio show, whatever you want to call it. It's called ComicZoneRadio.com. Mm-hmm. All the interviews are free and they're all archived, and people can listen to that uh, whenever they want. I've interviewed everybody from Frank Miller to Stan Lee. I just uh, interviewed Art Spiegelman last week. That should be up soon. Oh, cool. And uh, it's, it's really fun for me to be able to speak with um, artists, writers. I've even had directors. I've had Brian Singer on opening night of Superman Returns. Oh, wow. I've had... Um, Thomas Jane, who starred in the Punisher movie. So we've had a lot of different types of people from different uh, parts of the comic book or entertainment world on the show. I even had the guy who played the soup Nazi on Seinfeld, uh, Larry <laughs> Thomas, on. And we, I wrote a bit up called The Comic Nazi, and we did a whole little reenactment of that, that classic scene from Seinfeld. So, you know, you have to try to have a lot of fun with it. I did it, did it for five years straight. Uh, it's still, still running today, but I do it a lot uh, more sporadically. And uh, it's a lot of fun, and I think that anybody out there who's trying to learn more about comic books and creators and um, wants to get into it, that would be a great um, tool or great resource to have at your disposal. I've also inter- interviewed dealers and, and comic book uh, convention promoters and um, publishers so that you get a better feel for different aspects of the world of comic books, and um, you can pick and choose what you want to focus on. If we were going to head out to... Uh a comic show this coming weekend and um 
didn't really hadn't been connected with comics since maybe we were uh, youngsters. And if you're like me, I mean, I'm 50 years old, so maybe it's been 25, 30 years since you picked up a comic book. What would be something you'd want to look for at your first show in well, three decades? I think I think what you should do at the first show is you should really um, take a look around and just soak it all in and see what other people are doing. Talk to different dealers in the room. Get, a, get different perspectives. Go in there with a the focus. What do I want to learn from today? What do I want to gain from this show? Um, can I pick up some tips on grading? And then, you know, you go around and you talk to people. Most dealers, if they're not too busy, are more than happy to sit and talk or comic books with you. Uh, you can also call, you know, without going to a convention, there are tons of websites, including my own. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, you can call up and speak to uh Speak to me, speak to one of my employees, and just uh, gather some information. Um, but at a convention, what's fun about the convention is you have so many different people in front of you with uh, different perspectives that it's very interesting to see. Uh, then you have to find somebody that you feel comfortable with their grading. Or for new collectors, they can use uh, uh, they can buy comic books that have already been third-party graded by mm-hmm. either a company like CGC Comics or uh, PGX, which what they do is... Um, Professional graders who grade your comic book, they do a restoration check, they encapsulate the comic book into a hard plastic holder Mm. with an official grade and comments on it. And this basically gives you a professional perspective or or opinion that this is what the condition of the book is. So somebody who might not know a a 2.0 from a 5.0 can now feel more confident buying and not getting fleeced or uh, just making an error. so it's a, it's a, that's a great tool for beginner collectors. And I know a lot of people who have been collecting 30, 40 years who love to buy third-party graded uh, comic books. And they do this also in baseball cards and coins. I think they're doing this in stamps right now, uh, vintage photographs. And I'm not sure, but they may be doing it with records. I know they're also doing it with toys. And that's just excellent advice for uh, for people to look for the third-party grading. And um, the plastic case that you yeah. that you mentioned will help preserve the value of that comic and maybe it even goes up in value. Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, you know, it's very important though that even when you're buying a third-party graded comic book for you to look at the book and make sure you agree with mm-hmm. their opinion because all you're paying for is an opinion even though it's, it's well-respected. Uh, everybody makes mistakes and everybody has different preferences. Some comic book collectors like comic books that have no stress lines on the spine. Some hate rounded corners. Mm-hmm. Some hate... Uh, stamps on, you know, store stamps on the front cover. Some mm-hmm. some have no problems with any of those things. It's something completely different. Some people only collect a certain page quality for the interior of the book. Uh, so you, there's a lot of different things. What you have to do is just do your research, uh, figure out what your interest is. Uh, what I think is also important is to figure out a budget that you're working with and mm-hmm. try to stick with that. Um, the best advice I give to people who are starting off with collectors is if you find a genre or title, a specific title that you want to do, maybe you want to complete a run of uh, Avengers or, or Incredible Hulk, whatever it might be, um, take a look at your budget for the year, how many years you want to spend doing this, and look at what the prices are in the Overstreet Price Guide, or just take a look at you know, my website has a little bit of everything, of almost every title. We have over 100,000 books in stock. That's wow. metropoliscomics.com. And uh, comicconnect.com is, is our online auction site. And we also have people will be able to um, put their own comic books as a consignment site as well for it to sell. We collect a 10% commission on the comicconnect.com uh, site. So you can basically 
figure out what title you want to do and uh, a lot of budget to, to that. Now, what happens to a lot of collectors is they get thrown off course because, let's say, all they ever thought of when they first started collecting were Marvel comic books, but then all of a sudden they say, oh, my God, there are DC and there are Timely comic books and there are all these other companies. What should I do? And that's when I tell people they should always have a, uh, 10% of their budget set aside for miscellaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way... You don't have to worry about taking money away from something else you wanted to do, and you don't. And you can actually pick up something a little different every once in a while. And who knows? Maybe it'll lead you to to uh, collecting a different title there. How much money should we set aside for an annual budget? Uh, if, if, I, I if, want you to set aside all of your money. <laughs> but no, seriously. Um, it all depends upon a couple of different factors. Obviously, number one, how much you make. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, what titles you're going to be collecting. And number three, how much you want to spend. Right. I've, I've always said there's a comic book for every budget, and there's a comic book for every customer, and there's a customer for every comic book. So what I think is, is important is for you to try to remember back from your childhood, hey, did I like Archie? Mm-hmm. You know what? Maybe I should collect Archie. And Archie's a great title to collect. Uh, very challenging in certain respects in terms of getting earlier books. Archie was created in, I think, 1942. Oh, no kidding. And so it's a very old character. There's a lot of different titles, a lot of different characters to collect. Uh, so you, you have a lot of different opportunities there. Um, trying to collect er, even Archie's from the 1960s and higher grades is very difficult. Not, not that expensive. You might spend $50 a book. Mm-hmm. But still, it's, it's challenging. And if you like a challenge, that's, that's another factor. This, some people just want to get a run together as quickly as possible. So doing Spider-Man, you could do in, you know, if you have the budget, you could do that in, in a week, mm-hmm. you know, Spider-Man run. But doing something, let's say, like uh, Matt Baker romance covers from the 1950s might be extremely challenging because they don't really come around that often. And when they do, they're usually in very low-grade condition. And Matt Baker was uh, an African-American artist uh, who did romance covers and some interiors, and he just had this special touch where you, you could look at 50 different romance covers and very easily pick out all the Matt Baker covers because they're just head and shoulders above the rest. Huh. It's a beautiful feel, the, the way he drew and the emotion on a woman's face or, or something like that. It's just very ethereal, beautiful, romantic look to his art. And when you say a complete run, you're talking about every comic in that of that character, right? You can, you can do complete runs. You might want to just do the run. Um, some people collect issues 100 to 200. Mm-hmm. There's no set fast rule you have to collect this way. Me personally, for my, my own collection, I just collect what I like. I don't yeah. have a complete run of anything. I collect covers I like. I collect issues I like. Um, and uh, that's what I do. And, I, and by the way, just so people realize, just I don't just collect comic books because I'm a dealer and I can get them at great prices. Mm-hmm. I am more than happy to pay full retail for a comic book that I want for my collection. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And what I've found in terms of investing, which is a very important part of uh, collecting and investing today in comic books, is that uh, comic books do very well as investments. Okay. It's buying the best. Always buy the best, you're always going to do well. When I say best, I mean the, the most popular titles, the highest grades you can find out there. Those, those are the ones that are going to appreciate the quickest. And you also have to follow the different trends in the marketplace. Or right now, they're doing a Green Lantern movie, so Green Lantern's starting to pick up. Oh, they're cool. also planning a Captain America movie, so Captain America's picking up. Um, and they're doing an Avengers movie. Avengers is really red hot right now. Well, you know, there was uh, an Avengers movie a few years ago. Um, wasn't there? A cartoon movie, I think. A cartoon, okay. Uh, Ultimates, it was called Ultimates. Uh, there was a, an Iron Man movie uh, recently. Yeah, I saw that last year. I, don't, I think Fantastic Four might be what you're thinking of. Or oh, it could be. 
or the, uh, there was an animated series of uh, movies that they came out with a couple of years back for Avengers. It's called The Ultimates. Um, so uh, there's just so much out there to collect. Um, but but most important thing is buy what you enjoy and have fun with it. If it's not fun, you shouldn't really do it. Or if you're doing it strictly to make money, if you're doing it for a while and you're not making money, you're doing something wrong because. I can tell you, you can look at a, an Overstreet Price Guide from 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, and you'll see trends of upward movement on the key issues, best of books, highest grade, uh, graded copies of books will always increase in value. We just recently hit a world record with our Comic Connect event auction last month where uh, an Action Comics number one sold for $317,200. Wow. world record. That's the first appearance of Superman. It was a CGC graded 6.0 copy. And um, it was spectacular to see that. Uh, and in, my, my, in the back of my head, I'm saying to myself, okay, when are we going to hit a million dollars? Because there has not been a, a million-dollar comic book uh, sold yet, and I think that that will happen probably in the next, I'd say, five to ten, maybe 15 years, somewhere in there. And picking out that right book would be tremendous. I was going to ask you about the economy and, uh, and the hobby, but if people have over $350,000 to spend on a comic book, it doesn't sound it's affected it very much, or has oh, it? Yeah, well, you know, here's what I've noticed. Um, I was, uh, at the end of the last year, when I was hearing all the, uh, toward the end of the last year, when I was hearing all the different uh, negative uh, reports about what, where we were headed with our economy, I made a, um, a goal in my mind. I said, no matter what this is going to be, I'm going to do my best to have a very strong year in 2009. Mm-hmm. And then December and January rolled around, and the, and the, the news was getting worse and worse. Yeah. So I was biting my nails a little bit, and wondering what's going to be happening. Now, I will I will tell you that January was a little slow for us, but then February bounced back tremendously. Good. March we had our auction, but even without our auction, we still hit uh, well above our, our monthly average for what we needed to do in sales. And then uh, attach our, our auction onto that. It was probably one of the best months I've ever had in business. Outstanding. Congratulations. Um, so basically what I'm seeing is a lot of my customers are taking their money out of the stock market um, and, and out of the real estate market, and they're putting it into collectibles. Uh, they're buying comic books because they feel like their money is safer mm-hmm. in a vintage comic book than it is in the marketplace. In fact, I, I, could, I, I, I some of my uh, smartest and most knowledgeable customers are doing exactly that right hmm. now. Um, the place where the only place I've seen the business hurting right now, from what I've been hearing, is on the junk end, the bulk end, the low end modern material. Um, and when I say low end modern material, what I'm talking about is basically low priced modern material. Uh-huh. Um, where you, about five years ago, three years ago, uh, two years ago, even uh, an average box of 300 bulk comic books cost about 10 cents a piece, so it's about $30 for a box. Now people are buying boxes for 15 bucks. Oh, no kidding. Half? Five, yeah. Some, some boxes, five bucks. Oh, jeez. So that end of the market is definitely taking a couple of steps backwards, but as I said earlier, you buy the best of the best, you're always going to be doing well. Now, let's say you only have 100 bucks a month to spend on comic books, and you want to buy the best of the best, that means you're not going to be buying Golden Age, early 1940s Superman. No. You're going to be buying Bronze Age, 1970s, high-grade, CGC-graded 9.6, 9.8, and 9.4, Marvel and DC superheroes, or or any type of genre um, in that type of grade. So then you'll be able to buy 
one to three books a month. Uh, there, like I said, there's there's definitely a comic book out there for every budget. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you know what you were saying about pick the thing that you like. Um, you know, that's the advice we give on this show all the time to people yeah. is uh, um, if you really set out to make money at something that you don't already know a whole lot about, you're probably just going to throw your money away. Let's talk about your uh, your store and your business a little bit. Do you have a, a storefront? We actually have a gallery showroom here in Manhattan, the only business of our kind on the island of Manhattan. Uh, we uh, have um, uh, most people when they come in here, they, it looks more like a museum, the, the front of our uh, gallery and showroom area. Uh, we have vintage movie posters, mm-hmm. the Frankenstein six sheet on our wall, which is the world's most valuable movie poster. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a stunning we have uh, on, a, on um, a display case with uh, props from the uh, original Batman TV series. We have Penguin's Umbrella and uh, the Bat Inhalator. We have all these neat, neat things there. Um, and we also have probably between my partner Stephen Fischler and myself, we have, probably have one of the largest collections of original comic cover art in the world. So we have um, covers like the cover uh, to Superman 16, which is the first time that Superman appears on the same cover as Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Um, we have just tons and tons of original art. Uh, we have the original art to the King Kong 1976 Dino De Laurentiis re-release of King Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have that uh, the painting that was on the po- the posters, the lunch boxes, everything, the games, uh, um, pinball machines, the original art of Kong on top of the Twin Towers, uh, crushing helicopters and airplanes <laughs> in his hands. You know, if you don't charge admission to come in and look, you should. Because it <laughs> yeah, sounds like a museum. One of the sweetest things I ever saw, uh, we had a client in from Europe, and they had a list of places to see uh, in New York, and the, I think it was number one was the Metropolitan Museum of Art, number two was the Statue of Liberty, number three was Ground Zero, and number four was Metropolis Collectibles. Oh, that, that is a, so cool. Such a compliment, and such a really touching thing to see, and, and uh we do enjoy um, having guests here. If you're ever in New York and you want to see something special, just call up and make an appointment. I'll give you a grand tour. Oh, wonderful. Uh, you're more than welcome. And same to your, your viewers out there who are listening. If you're ever in New York City and want to see something pretty neat, um, we uh, be more than happy to show you around the place for a little bit. And you have not one but two websites. Tell us about those. Yeah, well, metropoliscomics.com is the parent company. That's the company that um, is our main business. And we have been an industry leader for, gosh, um, my partner and I combined have over 50 years of experience in mm-hmm. the business. So it's Metropolis Collectibles, our website, metropoliscomics.com. And not, the, the thing that's, I think, great about our website, not only do we have the largest inventory of vintage comic books in the world, uh, with 100,000 plus comic books on the site, we also have a tremendous amount of content from market reports to articles about different comic books and titles and characters where you can learn a lot. We also have an, uh, uh, a section with our art gallery where you can take a look at what's, what's hanging in the, on the walls of the office. Um, and we have a, we- uh, a language translator on the site. Uh, we're always buying comic books. If you have comic books for sale, we have a section for that. Uh, we also have an in-the-press section with uh, different television interviews we've done over the years. Uh, as I said um, earlier, it was just on Fox, Fox Business, Business right? right? Which was uh, which was fun. We were talking about the auction that happened on ComicConnect.com. So ComicConnect.com was a natural um, uh, outgrowth. I don't know if that's the right term, but it was a natural progression for us from Metropolis Collectibles. Basically, we saw that there was a need 
by our customers to have a place where they could consign books to and sell them online, much like they do on eBay. Mm -hmm. So we created a site with uh, that function where a customer could take a scan of their book and place it, grade it and place it up on the site and negotiate with somebody. And basically the way it works is we work as a way station. The buyer sends in the money to us. The seller sends us the comic book. We check out the comic book, make sure it's graded correctly, and send it out to the buyer. And we make a small commission on that, only 10%. Yeah. Uh, But when you do tremendous volume, it's really good. And also what's what's really grown for us out of that business are our event auctions and monthly auctions. Uh, The event auctions, we feature some fantastic books. If you go to ComicConnect.com today, you'll see right now, we because of the uh, tremendous coverage we got from the news on our last month's event auction where the Action Comics number one mm-hmm. uh, 6.0 sold, a customer uh, saw the um, uh, article, I think, in the USA Today, and right. they, they called us up, and uh, basically they had one, so they sent oh. it to us, and now we have a second copy that's up for auction right now. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a 1.8 condition, CGC graded, uh, and what's interesting about that book is, if you look up guide on a 1.8, I think it's probably somewhere around $40,000 or so, mm-hmm. and the book is already up to 76000 Oh, and man. That's another thing that's very difficult for people to comprehend and understand when they come to comic books from other markets, that comic books, uh, hard to find rare comic books, do sell for over guide. And the way to be able to understand and learn that better is just by delving into the market and pricing around and seeing what books are selling for. Um, and Obviously, the people who are bidding on the action number one in our auction are not idiots. You know no. exactly what they're doing. And uh, my my uh, estimate on that is it was probably going to go. Uh, originally, my estimate was somewhere between seventy and a hundred thousand dollars, and I think that's where it'll hit. Uh, and obviously, it's definitely going to hit over seventy because it's it's already there. Um, there are tons of great books on the site. We actually have an entire Mary Marvel run, one through twenty-eight, on the site, which is a really neat run. A lot of great art in there. Um, we have uh, a Fantastic Four number 12 in CGC graded 9.2, which is a very difficult book to find in high grade. It's a very high demand. That's the first time The Thing fights uh, the Fantastic Four and The Thing fight uh, the Incredible Hulk. Oh, very wow. Very cool issue. Very cool. Um, there's tons of great stuff on the site, uh, and there's stuff being added every day. That's the other thing that's very cool about our sites. You can create your own customer profile and put a want list together, and, and then basically you'll get either daily, weekly, or monthly notifications as to what books we have for you that are on the want list. And you don't have to buy them, but at least you know when they come in, hey, I can get that. Uh, so we try to make it as easy as possible for customers to be able to buy from us. Uh, we have a tremendous customer service staff here at the company. Um, so Frank Chbiklik is our head of sales, and he's just fantastic. People love him. He's great to talk to. He loves talking comic books and can teach people a lot. Uh, we have a great shipping department. Uh, we always try to get things out on on, on time, very quick. Uh, consigners are very happy that when they sell books through our site, they get paid very quickly, usually within two to three weeks at the latest. Oh, awesome. Uh, so that's a very big uh, plus. We basically look at our competition and so how could we beat them and, and offering better customer service and better turnaround times on their payments and consignments was one of the or two of the ways that we could do that. So you really got just the full one-stop shop for buying, selling, researching, everything to do with, with comic books. Yeah, and, and I think part of the reason the site's so great is uh, because we have a really, really enthusiastic staff, as well as my partner and myself, who we are always thinking, how could we make things better? How could we uh, cater to our clients' needs? 
and that's what we try to do every day of the week. We're trying to right now figure out a way. Uh, we're obviously in Manhattan, so we don't have a tremendous amount of space. No. But we're, we're working on uh, in the next couple of months is hiring a, about two to three more people to just do scanning and try to get every comic book in our inventory scanned. Oh, that is so cool. And, uh, then, uh, right now we have stock images for books that aren't scanned, and we can get people in, uh, scans on request. Man. But uh, the idea of having over 100,000 books scanned and ready to go is just fantastic. That's uh, a very ambitious undertaking. That's right up there with um, trying to fly to the moon or, you know. <laughs> it's something you're right. It is. It's, that, it's, it's just so time-consuming. Map the human genome, things like that. <laughs> Great. It's, uh, scan all your comic books. Yeah, yeah. Cure cancer, scan comics. Yeah, same thing. Awesome. <laughs> Vincent Zerzola, thank you so much for being on The Collector Show. I feel like we could talk to you for days and uh, still not have even scratched the surface of all your knowledge oh, of collecting thank comic books. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry, I think I, when we were off air, I, I miscommunicated. My, my last name is Zerzolo. But I'm sorry. No, 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 I, I told you, hey, it rhymes with Mazzola. You did say rhymes with Mazzola. Zerzolo. Okay. I, <laughs> you didn't hear that last part, but that's for, for perfectly fine. I had a lot of fun. It was great. And once again, if anybody's interested, you can always contact us through the websites, metropoliscomics.com or comicconnect.com. And uh, have fun collecting. That's the most important thing. Enjoy yourselves. And even if you're not collecting comic books, have fun with whatever it is you are collecting. Wine, coins, stamps, you name it. Absolutely right. And thank you again, Vincent Zerzolo, yeah. for, for being on The Collector Show. And stay tuned for the Found Collectible of the Week with Heather Gallegos. Coming up next on The Collector Show. It's the found collectible of the week this week with our good friend Heather Gallegos. And Heather, what have you found for us to collect this week? Hi, Harold. I am going to talk to you today about collecting movie posters or also movie art, which would include posters, card um, items, and press and promotional items. Now, what's the distinction, Heather, between um, movie art or movie posters and just plain souvenirs? Well, the real distinction is for something to be considered a movie art piece, it had to be produced by the movie studio mm -hmm. and was distributed to theaters only as advertising materials. Mm -hmm. It is not meant to be sold or distributed to the general public. So those two criteria are your general guidelines when you're looking to start a collection. So if you knew somebody that used to own an old movie theater or if you uh, were friends with somebody that owned a movie theater, maybe that would be somebody to talk to about collecting movie posters, right? That would be. But there was a service that became uh, quite popular, like in 1939, mm -hmm. and it pretty much dominated the movie art world into the mid-1980s. It's called the National Screen Service, uh -huh. and it was the control center for nearly 90% of all movie paper products produced and distributed in the U.S. Wow. And a lot of times what they did for um, these types of things, these movie art pieces, they would rent them to the, the theaters. And then the theaters had to return them in order to get credit for the next round of movie art. So they really tried to keep a good handle on this. Yes. However, you know, I'm sure people are pack rats and they can <laughs> things. So yes, I think your point is well taken. If, if you knew a friend or have a friend who owned a theater, check in their attic <laughs> or their basement <laughs> to see what you can find. Yeah, I remember when I was um, 
growing up in Lake Jackson, Texas. We only had one theater. And the way to know what was on at the movies was to pass by there and see what poster was up. And, uh, of course, we've come a long way since those days. But do they still print movie posters? They do. They still print movie posters. There's several varieties, and some have been discontinued from what they used to do. But, yeah, they still do the very common one sheets, which mm-hmm. is one full sheet, which is one movie being advertised on that sheet. So back in, you know, maybe like the 1950s and 1960s era, mm-hmm. when they would do um, double features, right. they would often do a combo, which had two to three movies advertised on one poster. Now, it would seem like something like that would be very collectible. That is very collectible, but that has gone, you know, like to the wayside now. Now that we have these big multiplex theaters, you know, where they show several different movies, right. they, they don't do those combos anymore. That's pretty rare. It's the local Googleplex. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, they still print these on paper, or are there other materials that are used? Primarily printed on paper or cardstock, just mm-hmm. depending. Um, paper items don't hold up too well. Those are usually for use, like you were talking about, in those display cases. Right. But for things that go like out on counters or which they don't really use much here anymore, but even little um, like five by eight cards mm-hmm. that can go in different places in the community also to um, promote a movie. Those are usually done on cardstock. There's also another one that I found that I just find so fascinating. It's mm-hmm. called Mylar. This is where they print a poster on mylar plastic. Mm-hmm. But first of all, what they do is they coat that mylar in either gold or silver paint. Yeah. And then an artist paints the um, the movie art right over that paint. Wow. But they leave holes in the paint to let the silver or the gold shine through. And these posters are very expensive to produce, and they're also very rare. They're very limited. They do only a few for yeah. um, for a, for a run of a movie. Sometimes they only go to um, the premiere theaters. A a movie will often just premiere at a few select theaters. Right. Like Star Wars, for example, when it was originally released, it was only shown at four specific theaters for its premiere. Only two posters were made for each theater where it was shown. I wonder where those posters are now. Uh, I'm sure they're in someone's collection. Or in a museum somewhere, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Maybe the Smithsonian. Now, I know that there are some um, auction houses that specialize in movie posters. Tell us about those. There are. There is the Heritage Auction. They Mm -hmm. have weekly internet auctions. They also offer signature auctions three times a year in March, July, and November. Mm -hmm. There's also Hakes, which is an online auction, and that one is held several times a year. And then there's also, just if you're looking for some guides. Oh, boy. We're always looking for guides. Absolutely. They're always good to know. There's um, Bruce... Hersherson's yes. sale results, that's a good guide to go. Um, also, Bruce um, Carteron at the Heritage Auction Galleries. Mm-hmm. He's also a good person to keep in contact with and uh, find out how much those posters are going for. Now, what about books, Heather? Are there any good resources we can turn to? There are several resources to turn to. A couple that I found that I would recommend would be Collecting Movie Posters. It was published in 2001 mm-hmm. by Edwin and Susan Poole. That's P-O-O-L-E. Right. And that retails for around $35. There's also Yesterday's Tomorrow's, the golden age of the science fiction movie posters. And it looks specifically at the years 1950 through 1964. Okay. Uh, the author on that one is Bruce Wright, and that retails for around $10 to $20. Okay. And there's also Hollywood movie posters, 1914 through 1990, by Miles Barton, and that retails for $40. 
So plenty of resources available and plenty of places to go look online because I know that uh, Hakes and the other services all have online auction auctions going on. And um, I'll bet you that uh, eBay's got a lot of these, right? eBay has over 35,000 movie posters for sale right now. now and, sorry, go ahead. Well, the one that I found that was most expensive, <laughs> if you're looking to really start a collection, yeah. $299. Um, there were two separate entries that were going for this price. One was from 1954, Knights of the Round Table. Right. The other one was from 1967, they came from beyond space. You know, I think if memory serves and someone out there will correct me, but um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, spoofed that They Came From Beyond Space oh. movie in their uh, Peabody award-winning show uh, back in the 1990s. But I know I've seen that movie. Okay. And it, There's just one more. We were talking about online sources. There is LAMP. Oh. It stands for learnaboutmovieposters.com. No kidding. They have some guides available. Um, they also have databases. They have a dealer's market, like over 60,000 movie posters available for Jeez, sale. That's, so that's a lot. really another good source online. And I went through the whole site and found quite a bit of good information. Um, looking, you know, if you're going to start a collection, some things that you'd really want to know, mm -hmm. um, some research tools and some sources for you to, for you to access. And I was able to get throughout the whole site without becoming a member. So it's uh, information and resources for collectors that are free. That's right. Always good. It's our favorite word. We like free. We love free. <laughs> well, so um, now one last thing with respect to the material. You said it was mylar plastic and it was hand-painted? It's hand-painted. That's Yeah, that's what my research uncovered. I would bet that... Um, those posters would be the ones that would be the most collectible and the most expensive. Yeah, that, that's what it's. That's what I found. There are other ones though. There's lenticulars and holograms. Those are three D three D image posters. Sure. And they're printed on that heavy cardstock. Those also are very rare and extremely expensive, and they really limit the numbers on those as well. There's so many different types. I mean, if, if a movie, let's say they were to win it, like an Academy Award. Yes. Oftentimes, a studio will re-release the original poster, but add those awards on it. So, huh. you know, or if they re-release that movie, they'll add those awards. Or if they get a lot of good press, they sometimes, it just depends. If it comes, if the press comes out before the movie is actually released to the theater, let's mm -hmm. say it went to like Cannes first or um, Sun, um, I forgot the name of it. Uh, Sundance, Sundance right. You. Sundance. If it were to go to Sundance, it got a lot of good press. Mm -hmm. and it, it hadn't really premiered in the general theaters yet. When the movie theater is putting together that um, the movie poster, they'll include some of that on there. So there's, there's really specific types of movie posters that you can look for. It doesn't just have to be the generic movie poster that you see in the light boxes in the movie theater lobby. Mm -hmm. It can be very specific types. There's military issue uh movie posters. Wait a minute. Posters that are issued to... Military bases. Oh, okay. But they're not printed in full color. They only use two to three colors on those types of posters. Huh. And it's a cheaper version. I'll be. I, there's just so many. You know, the further down you drill into any of the things that we talk about, the more you learn and the more there is to collect. That's right. You could make an entire hobby out of just collecting those military posters. That is absolutely correct. You can... A whole hobby. You really want to think about... What genre of movie interests you, too? That's going to be a big part of it, right? Because if you like the style of movie, you're probably going to be more apt to collect it. Right. I mean, there's just so many things. But, you know, you really want to look at when you get into this is how rare 
is the poster? Yes. Is there a demand for the poster? If there's no demand, if it's some obscure movie that no one's heard of, you know, there may not be much demand. How old and what issue? Was it the original release of the movie or were there subsequent subsequent releases? Sure. And then actual, the physical condition, which I think we talk about all the time. Oh, right? sure. You want to make sure there's no tears, folds, creases, things like that. So... So those are things that you really want to look at, and um, and just what falls into your what you like. Well, and it doesn't sound like it has to be a particularly good movie, right? For the poster to be popular, like they came from beyond outer space, <laughs> right? I don't I don't remember a line around the block to go see that. Uh, but, that was before my time, so I don't know. <laughs> but you know, got well, thanks. Uh, Gone with the Wind, which was before my time, right. um, certainly one of the best movies ever made. I can see that there would be people that would want that poster. I, I think things like Star Wars, Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, movies like that that have, have stood the test of time, classic movies. Well, so you know, you know, will be a demand. And we're just getting in now. Um, late April, early May, into kind of the summer release season. So if somebody wanted to start collecting movie posters with some of the movies that are coming out this summer, like X-Men and Wolverine or the new Star Trek series that's coming out, now's a good time. That's right. Absolutely. Now's the time to start. You have the big blockbusters coming out in the summer. So well, you have to make friends with your local movie theater get, person. Get very chummy with the people who work at the local movie. <laughs> Buy extra popcorn the next time you're there. <laughs> sure, or or whatever you know you have to do. But right. um, I think that just uh, just asking the people at the movies if you can have a poster right. would be the right thing to do. And then look at these online resources. Exactly. Do your research. Thank you, Heather. Always Thank a you. good segment. Now, next week, I'm going to try to find... There's a guy, you are not going to believe this, Heather. What? There's a guy who lives in Owasso here in Michigan. Right who, here in Michigan? Right here in Michigan. Wow. Who collects meteorites. Wow. Yeah. Wow is right. And Does I'm going to... get hit by a lot of meteorites? Well, apparently it does. Wow. And he, he uh, collects meteorites. He watches them fall and then goes and tries to find them. And he owns a collection of meteorites, so... I'm going to try to uh, track him down during the week and get him on the show for next week. Who knew you could collect meteorites? And how much must those be worth, huh? They must be worth a ton of money. Well. Just from mineral composition alone. Yeah, or just because they're meteorites. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, listen, thanks as always, Heather, for uh, a great contribution to our show. I know everybody gets a lot out of it. I certainly do. And be sure to join us again next week for what I hope will be a show about Meteorites here on Web Talk Radio. It's Harold Nickel and the Collector Show. Keep collecting.